Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osban, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masacha Ta'anid, daf yud, page 10. So we're about a third of the way done with our Masachat, um, and we have some new Mishnahs on this daf. But before we get to the new Mishnahs, I want to just draw attention to an interesting machlokas between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua. And this really starts with the Brisa that's start, quoted on uh, Tet Amud Bet, but we'll look at what uh, they do with it here. Amar Mar, so the Mar here that they're talking about is Rabbi Eliezer in this Brisa before. Mimatkin hein ba'avin. The salty waters of the ocean they're basically talking about become sweetened in the, in the clouds. Minale, where do we know this from? To Amar Rabbi Yitzchak Bar Yosef, Amar Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabbi Yitzchak Bar Yosef said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Ketiv, so they're quoting here a pasuk from Tehillim, chapter 18, um, verse 12, that says, the darkness of the water are the thick clouds of the heaven. And then they quote another pasuk, and this one is from Shmuel Bet, chapter 22, verse 12. Right? A sieve of water, the thick clouds of the heavens. So if you look at these two pasukim, they seem to be very, very similar, except one says the words chashrat, and the other one says the word chashrat. So Rabbi Yochanan basically says, Shekol kaf, right? Take the, the kaf that's in the word shachach, right? Which means darkness. Ushade arash, and put in it arash, which is what it looks like in, uh, in the, in the uh, pasuk in Shmuel Bet. Ukribe chashareich, right? And so he basically, I can't even say that word. He combines them together into one word, chashareich, right? And so what that means is the preparation. So how he's reading is the preparation of water, right, is from the thick clouds of heaven. Um, and so that's essentially how he's reading that. So what he's saying is, is that the, the saline, salty ocean water basically becomes suitable to sort of water the earth uh, by, um, by the clouds. And if you think about that, there's truth to that, right? The whole process of how water you know, sort of gets reabsorbed back into the atmosphere and becomes cloud and then rains in a way that we that we can now use it. For Rabbi Yoshua, right, Rabbi Yoshua said that the rain basically comes from the sweet waters of the heaven. It's not water that's coming from the ocean. It's actual water that's coming from the heavens. That's, again, what the Bryce said in the previous tab. Bahani Kremai Darish Vahu, where does he, what is, what is he derived from these two verses? Sevralar Beha, right, he held like the statement, right, that when Ravdimi came, right, when Ravdimi would go from Bavel to Eretz Yisrael, and he would always report back, you know, what was being taught in Eretz Yisrael, right? What did he say? Amri Rava, they say in the West, that means they said in Israel, Nahor if the clouds are light, Zirin Muhi, their waters are minute, right? Which makes sense to us, right? If you have, don't see very thick clouds, it doesn't have a lot of rain. Chashuch but if the clouds are dark, then their waters are ab- abundant. So Rabdimi is basically making this observation from the verse of the darkness, from that first verse that's in Tehillim, that dark clouds basically have a lot of water in it, and light clouds uh, do not have um, do not have a lot of, of, of water in it. Um, and he, you know, what's he doing with the verse in Shmuel that has the word? Uh, with the word of the sieve in it, that that verse basically just teaches us that, you know, the waters are basically dispersed. They go throughout as if they were being passed through a sieve. 
So um, what I wanted to draw attention to here is, yes, this was, uh, you know, quoted before, but it's interesting that, you know, they're making observations about, you know, what the natural world looks like. How does rain form? How does what's the relationship between the water that's in the ocean and clouds? But they're not doing it based on sort of the scientific method that we do. Right. Which is sort of like observation and you make a hypothesis and then you observe and you see if your hypothesis is correct. Their way of doing it, Chazal, is basically by looking at Sukim. And the premise is, is that, uh, you know, every Pasuk we have is true and therefore it's describing something that has to be true. And based on those Sukim, that's where they're sort of deriving the laws of nature. I'm not here to question the validity of that, but I really just want to show like it's a very different approach to how we relate to the natural world. Um, And I think we really see that here on this staff and how they try to go through this particular um, brace. So it's not sort of like two scientists disagreeing with each other because one wants to prove this and one wants to prove this. Their machlokas of the natural world is really based on how they interpret Psukim. And I was really particular passage when I saw it. Yeah, I, I'm, I think that this is exactly right. Meaning the basis of Chazal's knowledge, it's not fair to say, they have plenty of times of, to, obse- to observe the natural world as well, but the, the, all the rationale behind things, so often anyway, they're going to tie it to Psukim. Right. And, you know, again, just a very different way than how we relate to the natural world. I'm going to move on to the next Mishnah. The previous Mishnah, if you remember, talked about when we stopped saying which is the Shoal piece of Kishamim they're requesting. Now we're going to deal with when do we start saying a little bit out of order, right? So on the third of Marcheshvan is when we start requesting rain. Ramagamliel says on the seventh of Marcheshvan. Why? Because it's because it's 15 days after Sukkot Shmini Atzeret ends, and there's a very famous Mishnah. The reason for this is, is so that we allow basically anybody who was Ola Laregel, who came up to celebrate in Yerushalayim, enough time for them to get to the Euphrates River, which would take around 15 days, so that they could get home basically without being, um, without being rained on. Um, and then what the Gemara gets into a discussion here for is, you know, sort of when, for Jews who live in the diaspora, when do they start saying, and one of the things that they mention is, is that they may have a different rain need than other places, um, which I thought was very, very interesting. That the idea is sort of that, you know, uh, in Babel, they may not have needed to ask for rain as long as they needed to in Eretz Yisrael because they just get more rain. It was like more low lying and they didn't need rain as much. So just pay attention to that interesting discussion there, you know, that it's not necessarily that everybody starts saying exactly at the same time. Um, And, you know, it's sort of as much as we sort of are emphasizing with this Masachet, the relationship between Eretz Yisrael and rain, right? Israel specifically in rain here, we're sort of also acknowledging that, even people who don't live in Israel, right? If you're in a diaspora community, you also need rain, right? You also need rain for crops. So, you know, the Shoel piece, I think what we learned from this passage is it's not just primarily about Israel. It really could be about anywhere that you live, you still need rain. 
Um, and I think that's a little bit different than how we think about what a lot of this Masachat is talking about. Of course, then if you dig deep into those dates, it gets really complicated because here it says 60 days and then really we do 50 days. And at the end of the day, those like we conclude or they conclude that December 4th is the right day. And that, of course, is a bizarre thing because December 4th is a secular date on the solar calendar, right? It's not on the Hebrew calendar at all. And yet it is the date that is determined for the non-Israel recitation or, or inclusion of the asking for rain um, as the beginning of the winter season. And of course, depending on where you are, that makes tremendous sense or perhaps not at all. So, it, you know, you can get tremendously um, turned around, I guess, if you uh, delve too deeply into this particular math. <laughs> Excuse me. So now let's establish, you're, let's say you're in Israel and you've started asking for rain on the 7th of Mar Cheshvan, and now it's 10 days later, right? Everybody's gotten home from Aliyat HaRegel and you're at the beginning of the rainy season, you're expecting it to rain. It's come to be the 17th of Mar Cheshvan, and it has not rained. So individuals begin to fast. What does it mean that they fast? They're fasting three fasts for, for rain, right? With the idea that they're just individuals, but they are, they're, you know, it's not the whole community. It's specific people who I imagine are considered to be either particularly important or particularly pious, right? That, they're, that their fasting is going to make the difference. And what do they do? So what they do, the way they fast is that they eat and drink once it gets dark, meaning they're only fasting during the, daylight hours, really, and they are allowed to do malacha, they're allowed to do their regular work during the day, and they can wash, and they can anoint themselves with oil, meaning, they can wear leather shoes, they can have sexual relations, meaning, this is not a Tisha B'Av kind of fast, or Yom Kippur kind of fast. Now, what happens if that didn't work? Now, we're up to Rosh Chodesh Kislev, which is you know, another, what, another almost two weeks, right, after Zayin Cheshvan, and it still hasn't rained. So at this point, the, the court will decree three fasts on the community, which are similar to the to the individual fasts, namely, you can eat and drink once it's dark, you can do your work, you do not have the inuyim, the, the sufferings of Tisha B'Av or Yom Kippur. But now it's on the community. Everybody's supposed to participate in this, um, and I keep calling it prayer, right? Meaning it's fast. It's a fast that is a dedication to God that says, here we are, you know, please give us the rain that we need. So the Gemara goes on to address all of this. Man yechidim, who are these individuals? So this is a machloket, right? Who are we talking about here? Rav Huda says we're talking about the sages, that it is the sages themselves who are expected to undertake the fasts because they're not the ordinary people. And But then Rav Huda goes further to say that the individuals who do this fast, what do they do? They do Monday and Thursday and then the following Monday. So it's three fasts, but it's not three consecutive days. It's what's somehow called Bahab, 
bet, meaning the second day, to Monday, hey, Thursday, Yom Chamishi, and then the second day again. Um, but it's simply three in a row for the sake of, you know, as I say, for the idea that this is going to bring the rain. My Kamashman, so what is Rafuna really talking about here? What is he really teaching? So we understand from this that the court is not allowed to decree a fast that begins on a Thursday because that somehow would lead to an increase in prices. Now, why is that? Well, the these are the market days, right? And the the issue is that if the if the they would apply a fast on a Thursday, then the concern would be that they would raise the food prices because everybody would want to buy food because they're in the process of a fast, right? So you have to make sure that there's no increase. So there's no fast decreed on a Thursday. My question, however, and I don't have an answer because I don't, I just haven't delved into it enough, um, is why this wouldn't be relevant for Monday, which is also a market day. Um, but I don't have a quick answer for that. <laughs> In any case, the Gemara goes on to exp- to answer Rav Huna, right? Meaning, what Wait, is what do I we say, do? I I thought the reason was is because it's like a combination of a fast day and needing to buy food before Shabbat. Oh, okay, that works. That's why. meaning so that Thursday is craziness specific- on a Thursday. People will start to get nervous, but if you do it on a Monday. And this, nobody really shops on Monday because it was a fast day, but Tuesday it sort of goes back to normal. Prices won't go up. Nobody's going to get nervous. But if it's like okay. a Thursday and with its proximity to Shabbat, that's why I thought it would like sort of. I can handle that. That works for me. That works for me. I think they did buy on a Monday, meaning the marketplace was still um, market days were market days for a reason. But I understand it doesn't have the same pressure, and you could probably just buy a tiny bit for Tuesday and Wednesday without having to worry about Shabbat. I get that. Okay. So let's come back to now to Rav Huna, who's where really the the Gemara here is addressing this distinction between the community and the individual, right? Because the individuals begin the fast Monday, Thursday, Monday. But what about, and and then depending on when that falls out, they might stick to that or they might move it around, right? The Gemara here says, Mafzikin Roshei if Rosh Chodesh falls out to be one of those days, then they won't fast on that day because you're not allowed to fast on Rosh Chodesh, right? Meaning there's there's all kinds of um, this is not, <laughs> this excuse me this is not a hard and fast rule, right? The idea is that they should fast three days and they have a basic template to use, but then they can adjust it based on the, that particular year's calendar. So the question of how this is going to come out if it's going to be for community, is a little bit different. Um, meaning, oh, the Gemara's concern here is that you might think that it only applies for the community, but really it's going to apply for the for the individual as well. Okay, what I really want to get to, though, is the next part. The next part is, I would say, we'll call it, I got it, it's really separate from all of this, although we can talk, we can understand why it might be here. Tanura banan, al adam talmid ani, eni ra'ui liot yachid. So the the Chazal say as follows in a breita: a person should not say, "I'm only a student. I'm not worthy to be one of these yechidim who's going to fast." So we understand that this is here because it's talking about the yechidim who fast. But the the position here is 
don't make yourself into somebody who is less worthy than you really are. The Gemara says all of the Talmidei Chachamim are indeed individuals, individuals who can count to be those who would fast when an individual fast is called for. The Gemara says who is the person who's an individual and who is considered a student. Yachid is anybody who has learned enough Torah to be appointed leader over a community, leader, teacher, parnas, over, over a community, a community. It doesn't mean over every community. It doesn't mean you have to be the most learned person out there to be the single leader over everybody, right? But that you are not, you know enough to be a leader. Talmid, kol shishoalino to davar lacha, betalmudo, v'omer v'afilu b'masachet akala. So, who is a student? A student is anybody. It doesn't mean a little kid student, right? It means anybody who's a Torah scholar. And then, if you're, if you ask that person something in halacha, and that person, and then this Talmud answers the right answer, then that tells you that they know enough to be this person who's considered a student. And the Gemara here says, even if what they know is only from Masachet Kala, just what they happen to be learning right then from the, from the they have a um, a stint of learning called the Yarchikala, right? Where it's a, I want to say it's a week, but maybe it's a month. It's a month where the Kala month and they would learn whatever Masachet they would learn there. And then somebody can ask you a question if you were at that, at that stint of learning and now you know the answer. It doesn't mean that you're really such a huge scholar. You only just know what was just learned. But if you can answer those questions right, then you're considered a student enough that you can then be considered a Yachid for the purposes of fasting. Now, the, the, we have another breita, Tanu Rabbanan, Lo kolorotzela, sotatzmo yachid oseh, talmid oseh. Right, not everybody who then wants to make themselves into yachid can do so. Right, the first case is that somebody who wants to say, no, no, I'm not a yachid, I'm too lowly to be a yachid. But then we've got a case of somebody who says, no, but I am a yachid, talmid oseh, divrei rebi meir. So, Meaning that likewise, somebody who just because you want to act like a Talmud doesn't mean you are. And that's Rabbi Meir's position. It's a little bit stringent. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Rabbi Yossi says, no, anybody who wants to can do so and will remember that person for good. Meaning this kind of claim that you're a Torah student is not necessarily praise. In fact, it seems to be some kind of some kind of suffering, some kind of pain. Because to take these obligations on yourself, meaning now you're going to be the person who's fasting, right? It's not considered something you're supposed to seek. Um, and and the Gemara goes on in this vein, which I do think is very interesting in terms of how do you, how are you allowed to present yourself as an individual in contrast or in comparison to the others who are in the same boat? Um, in terms of what? In terms of wisdom, in terms of um, intelligence, in terms of piety, right? These kinds of questions are, it's kind of, I, I feel like this is a very broad brush to say, well, you can do this, you can't do this. And I think at the end of the day, I think we would all agree that individuals would probably deal with this in a case-by-case basis with their abanum. That's my guess anyway. Um, the Gemara goes on to talk about other cases Right, where you might have an individual who's fasting, you know, for a particular reason, not for a rain issue, 
but let's say for somebody to recover from being sick or something like that, and then they complete the fast, and then what are they supposed to do, right? Right. Um, And what happens when people who are not fasting and are in the same place as the person who is fasting? We end up with a lot of the, I would say, local politics or internal um, practice of how these um, individual fasts would be carried out. You know, I think what's interesting is that this process of beginning to have to fast is not taken on by the whole community yet. It's by this Yechidim first. And, you know, it's kind of, I don't know if elitist is the right word, but it's sort of separating out like who should be the pray, who should be praying first. Um, and, it, you know, the fact that we don't go to sort of the entire congregation first is a little bit different than I think something that we would expect. But again, this isn't a, a communal, it's not a mitzvah that you have to fulfill here. This is more just there's there's a need, right? Something bad is happening. And so we, we need to pray extra. Okay, that's fair. And then the Gemara goes on, and I think it's really, it is talking about this question of elitism. <clears throat> it's, again, it's this is no longer really talking about the rain. It is talking about how do you present yourself. It says, Al So it says, do not fall out by the way. This is a pasuk from Breshit Mem Hey, um, talking about Yosef and his brothers. Amar Rebelezer, Amar Lahem Yosef Lachav, Altitas Kuba Devar Lacha, Shema Tergzu Alechem Haderech. Joseph says to his brothers, Do not get occupied in a matter of halacha, lest you fall out in the way. What does it mean to fall out in the way? Meaning you're getting so involved in what you're thinking about and discussing and arguing the halacha, and then you might end up, you know, being in odds with each other while you're traveling. And the the claim here is that that's not a good plan. If you want to be traveling together, you have to have at least a modicum of peace so that you can cooperate as you go. And the Gemara asks, Ini, is that so? So we've got a case here of Rabbi Aliyah Barbarechia. He says there are two Torah scholars who are walking along the way, and they are not talking divrei Torah. They're not speaking anything of Torah. The Gemara here says they are worthy of being burned, meaning they should have been talking Torah. They should have been investigating those words of halacha. How can it be that Rebbe Lazar said about the story of Yosef and his brothers that you shouldn't be talking to- words of Torah when here the contrast is such a such a harsh indictment of what it means to walk and not talk Torah. This verse is from, from Malachim Bet, where it says specifically that there will be fire, you know, for the people who are talking, and the implication is talking not divrei Torah. Tama de'ika dibor, haleka dibor, ruhin so the Gemara answers this, you know, concludes or resolves the issue by saying that the chariot of fire doesn't help, doesn't, I'm sorry, doesn't harm Alicia. That's in the, in the Pasuk from, from Malachim, from Kings, because there was a Torah matter between them and they had been, you know, they had been focused on it, even if they were clearly not actually talking about it out loud, but had they been talking about it, um, then that would have been okay, as opposed to had they not been talking about a Torah matter at all, that there was nothing of Torah between them, that's where you get to the Ra'u'i Saref that they would be worthy of being burned. Gemara resolves this even better. It says, Lokasha, this is not difficult. Ha'alimigras, ha'li'inui. The opinion of Rabbi Leibar Berechia 
is talking about when they would just kind of rattle off whatever they had learned, reviewing it, you know, by rote, as compared to the case of Rebbe Lazar, who says, no, you're examining Allah in depth and getting all, you know, invested in it in a way that is um, is too heated for travelers. But if you're simply reciting or working over the material that you already know for review, then that would be acceptable. And that keeps your conversation holy. And then you don't have to worry about this concern that, oh, my goodness, you better you should be burned, that better that the there should be um, a fire in your midst because you're not keeping you're not paying attention to the words of Torah or you're not keeping them alive as you go. That's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the staff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.